Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning, this is Peter Lewis. Welcome to the final day of the week, the month, the quarter and the first half of 2023. Much to discuss today, so thank you for listening to my podcast, Peter Lewis's Money Talk, and for making it one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. Here are the headlines for Friday the 30th of June. China has passed a new foreign relations law that will allow Beijing to take countermeasures against Western threats to national and economic security. The law will allow the Chinese government to respond to Western measures such as sanctions and export controls. The Global Times said the law, which takes effect on Saturday, would provide a legal basis for the diplomatic struggle against sanctions, as well as sound a warning and deterrence against Western hegemony. A final revision to US first quarter GDP showed the economy growing at an annual pace of 2% in the first three months of the year, well above the 1.3% rate previously reported. The latest revision exceeded economists' forecasts for a 1.4% increase. The boost reflected stronger consumer spending than previously estimated, and the Commerce Department also said on Thursday that exports were greater than previously reported. German inflation accelerated this month, but inflation in Spain dropped below the European Central Bank's target. German inflation surged to 6.8% compared with 6.3% the previous month and the 6.74% forecast for June in an Economist's poll. Spain's consumer price inflation decreased to 1.9% year-on-year in June, dipping below the ECB's target of 2% for the first time since March 2021. Spain is the first major Eurozone economy to get inflation below the ECB's 2% target. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities, and Frederick Chu, Managing Director at Magnum Research. With a view from Australia, it's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Staten Partners. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street Thursday, U.S. stocks rose, led by cyclicals on the large upward revision to first quarter U.S. GDP and a sudden move back lower in weekly initial jobless claims. The S&P 500 added half a percent to end at 4,396. The Dow jumped 270 points, or 0.8%, to finish at 34,122, lifted by major bank names. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite closed flat at 13,591. Financials, basic materials, industrials and energy were the top-performing sectors, while comms and tech underperformed. Bank stocks rallied after the largest lenders passed the Fed's annual stress test, proving that they have enough capital to withstand a sharp economic downturn. Bank of America rose 2.1%, while Wells Fargo and JP Morgan Chase added 4.5% and 3.5% respectively. Apple climbed to yet another intraday record Thursday and bringing its market capitalization to within a whisker of $3 trillion. At the close, Apple's market value was $2.982 trillion. 
It's been a banner first half of the year for US stocks, and today marks its final trading day. The S&P 500 is up 14.5% this year and on pace for its best monthly performance since January. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite has climbed nearly 30% this year and is heading towards its best first half since 1983 as rising optimism around artificial intelligence pushes up technology stocks. The Nasdaq 100 has performed even better, rising almost 37% year-to-date. The blue chip chip Dow is the relative underperformer, up just 2.9%. Chinese markets fell on Wednesday. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index dropped 238 points, or 1.2%, to 18,934. The tech index slumped 1.7%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite slipped 0.2% to 3,182. For the quarter so far, the Hang Seng is down 7.2%, and for the year so far, it's lost 4.3%. This morning, futures markets are pointing to a further decline for the Hang Seng at the open of about 90 points. That's half a percent. You can get more details on the latest market movements, and you'll find that in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's Friday, the last day of the week and the quarter and the end of the first half of the year. Time to welcome our Friday morning guests we have with us, as we do every Friday, Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Nice. Good morning. And joining us this morning, Frederick Chu, Managing Director at Magnum Research. Nice to see you again, Frederick. Thanks for coming in. Morning, Peter. Um, let's review, shall we, the first half mm-hmm. of the year. I think if we went right back to the beginning of January, one of the common um, themes, one of the common consensus, if you like, was that interest rates in the US were going to peak this year. And in fact, not only peak, uh, but they were actually going to come down by the end of the year because the US was going to go into recession. <laughs> Six months later, nothing like that, is it? Uh, we're a long way, maybe a long way from the peak and certainly no sign uh, of a recession. The US economy must much more resilient than people thought. Why is that? Well, I think uh, one thing you can look at is really consumer spending. Uh, uh, the uh, American consumer has more money than the, the Federal Reserve expected, <laughs> more money than the economists think they do. I think but it was the Federal Reserve that gave them the money in the first <laughs> place, <laughs> more or less, and thanks to the government, of course. Yeah, that's right. That, that, that's really consumer spending that is keeping... The, uh, rece- uh, the expected recession at bay. And uh, unlike uh, uh, Europe, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, inflation is not yet crippling like uh, 10% in, in the U.K. Mm. So people still, uh, after they pay the rent, pay the, they pay the groceries, they still have a little bit money left. And that's what's keeping the uh, U.S. economy afloat. What do you think, Frederick? Is, is it down to all the stimulus that people still got money in their pockets because they were just given so much during the pandemic that that's what's keeping the U.S. economy afloat? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the, uh, the U.S. is um, as, as, you know, more robust than anybody else can expect it. Uh, you, you're betting against the uh, interest interest rate, and I think as as of now, you can you know the most you can say is it's probably interest rate is peaking, but it's, it's not yet peaked. Um, the figures coming out, you know, previously on the on the consumer and uh, and both GDP and, and the jobless claim uh, yesterday, as, as as probably tell people, you know, it's, it's going to be another hike in, in in July. I think for the first half, um, 
you know, U.S. is is definitely uh, you know the global winner in terms of uh, you know uh, asset classes, you know, equity performances, especially. Uh, Europe has been catching up as well, and uh, the spotlight is, is definitely on Japan. Mm. And uh, of course, we'll get on to China in a moment, but that's been the big um, underperformer. Um, so if you look at the performance of the equity markets uh, in the beginning of the year, as we uh, run down earlier, the, the Nasdaq Composite up 28% so far this year, huge boost uh, for, for tech stocks, particularly those related to artificial intelligence. That's been maybe the big surprise theme, hasn't mm-hmm. it, this year in the first half? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Chat GPT the uh, 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 really has taken the world by storm. And uh, before that, actually, no nobody really take uh, uh, artificial intelligence very seriously. Mm-hmm. But now you have a free uh, 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 AI that actually works. Mm. <laughs> so you've got something you can use, yeah, you? unlike the metaverse, which I never really understood what that was. Right. This is something you can actually use and make a difference with. Uh, that's right. Like people writing essays, students writing for exams, term papers, uh, things like that. And, uh, uh, well, uh, people are getting very excited about it. And then, of course, uh, uh, uh NVIDIA is the big winner for me because they're selling their H100 chips for 40,000 US dollars per piece. Wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, they're going to join the trillion dollar club. They did for a while, for yeah, briefly, didn't they? But yeah, they're pretty close yeah. to being in the trillion dollar yeah, club. They, they will soon be when their price uh, goes to 420 US dollars per share. Hey, Frederick, if we look at the numbers, the S&P 500 up 14.5% this year in the first half. The Nasdaq Composite nearly 30%. The Nasdaq 100, which is those top 100 mega caps in the technology sector like Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, so on, up almost 37%. The Dow's the underperformer, up just a measly 2.9%. But I don't think anyone really would have predicted this would they, at the beginning of the year. No, probably not. I think uh, the U.S. has got the fundamentals, uh, has got the, uh, you know, the technology story uh, that, that's really going to change the life of the human beings, uh, I think. Um, and, you know, the, um, uh, the, uh, so far this year, you know, as, as the numbers show, it, it's definitely the, uh, the uh, uh, global winner. Um, it, it, when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, it's the, the, the second uh, best performer, I, I think, is, is going to be Japan. Which uh, in mm-hmm. high year today is up thirty uh, percent, but that's more on uh, on a fund flow story rather than rather than U.S. I think from a global you know uh, asset allocation perspective, uh, you you are allocating into for developed markets you're going to U.S., um, Japan, uh, tactically and uh, Europe coming back a bit, uh, whereby you are on the on the emerging market side you're looking at frontiers like like Vietnam, uh, emerging markets like India. Um, so I think it's it's a it's a very I think I think it's a very different uh, perception than at the beginning of this year when we think that you know uh, U.S. is going to be leading the way uh, while China is is going to the Asia is going to be picking up uh, in accordance with the uh, post pandemic uh, recovery. Mm. Let, let me ask you both because you're both working in the financial services industry, both senior people in the in the financial services sector. Is AI changing? The way you work is it changing your business? Is it is it something that you're now having to think about and, and consider in in your day to day business? Well, 
at least for people writing essays, like for for writing financial reports every day, it makes the job much easier. You can just order your your AI program to write one for you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I could get it to do the, this program. It'll save me a lot of time. So maybe in time, uh, AI will, will replace us all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what about you, Frederick? I mean, on on the asset management side, I mean, I can imagine that you know the way you interact with customers certainly is going to be affected by AI, isn't it? Um, not very much at the moment. I think we run AI-driven investment models. Um, mm-hmm. So that's from a day-to-day perspective, you ask me whether we deal with AI. Yes, we deal with AI every day. Uh, but on the you know client-facing side, I, th- I think uh, it's going to be a, a, a bit more on the regulatory uh, allowance on, on what you can do. Um, I think uh, for Hong Kong, if you want to combine AI with, you know, financial service, especially financial advisory uh, type of thing, um, it's going to be a a bit uneasy where, Mm -hmm. you know, whereby you have to, you know, clarify a lot of, uh, you know, obligations and, you know, licensings and, you know, it's difficult to license a machine, uh, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is some of the, uh, you know, uh, hurdles that you need to overcome uh, from a regulatory perspective. But but the key thing is this is real, isn't it? It's not um, you know some people will be worried. Is it all hype? Is it all overdone? But th- yeah. this is real, isn't it? This there is, is real a- because uh, uh, what we find out is that uh, Facebook is actually using AI to uh, check its advertising, and the re- result has been disastrous because uh, uh, according to the police report. There, there is one uh, a criminal uh, uh, advertisement on on Facebook every twenty seconds. Wow! And uh, uh, I have one friend uh, who who's been uh, used uh, uh, by criminals over and over again. And then what 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 Facebook did is block everything mm. uh, that, that connected with that person, including the real Facebook page. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> and, and and there is no way. To uh, talk to Facebook, say, "Oh, you make a mistake because uh, it's all machine right, driven." Right. So they, they 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 don't make mistakes. I I had problem. I've had a similar problem like that with service providers now in the tech sector. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't find a way to get hold of them other than using mm-hmm. the chatbots that they have on their website. They don't provide even an email address for you to email them with a query that you have. This seems to be the way now, doesn't it? Yeah, going that, forward, it's hard to find a way to contact yeah, some you, service providers. You cannot talk to a person like uh, I I open an account with uh, interactive broker. And I want to ask a very simple question, and that question is not in the in mm. the glossary. Mm. So I try half an hour and gave up because they can never answer my question. So this is the way the world is going. I, I suspect, though, isn't it? Let me ask you about the currencies because there's been some big moves this uh, this year so far in the currencies, particularly the Japanese yen and the Chinese uh, yuan. The, the yen's at a new year-to-date low. Uh, it's at 144 and three quarters against the US dollar, very close to the level at which um, the Bank of Japan intervened last year uh, to try and support it. 
And then also the offshore yuan, that's dropped uh, to a seven-month low. It's currently uh, in offshore markets at uh, just below 7.27, even though the PBOC is trying um, to support it via a stronger-than-expected daily fixing. I presume that this is a result of the yield differential between uh, those markets and and the U.S. And as long as we see rising yields um, in the U.S., the dollar's going to rise and these currencies are, are vulnerable. Yeah, partially. I think uh, the um, both the yen and the uh, uh, CNY uh, depreciation it's mainly rooted from the uh, strong dollar. Uh, fundamentally, uh, in uh, uh, the uh, the CNY, as you can see, it is coming to seven point two seven, and the PBOC has not been making, you know, as has not been as sounded as uh, before when they, you know, always at some point of time when they. When the CNYs come to a, a particular threshold, they will come up and say, you know, uh, we, we're going to support, we're going to be you know, very high profile uh, to, to tackle this. Uh, I, I think both the uh, both the uh, the CNY and the, and, and the yen will keep at its uh, uh, lower level against the, the, the U.S. dollar in the, in the, at least for the coming uh, six months. Does it sort of the, the week you on, does it provide a form of stimulus for the Chinese um, economy? Well, I think the problem is really with weak demand from the West, uh, especially Europe and U.S. And uh, um, many uh, exporters, manufacturers in China are not running at full capacity. And you have freight rates, uh, the container charges going down from something like 20,000 U.S. dollars per uh, 40-foot container last year to something like 2,500. So so you're you're seeing a really sharp drop in demand for for containers, especially for uh, for exports from China to US or China to Europe. And I suppose, Frederick, the weak yarn puts off foreign investors, doesn't it? That's that's one of the reasons maybe why (laughs) foreign investors are sort of fleeing the Chinese markets and just don't seem to want to come back. Yeah, it's going to be one of the reasons, uh, but I, I wouldn't say all. Uh, you have to also have to, um, you know, factor in a uh, you know lower than lower than expected projection on the economy recovery, um, the uh, tension with the U.S. and you know the 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 chips uh, fight. Uh, you know, which is going to get worse by the looks of it in the second it's half. It's going to be mm-hmm. ongoing. I think uh, you know worse or becoming worse, becoming better. It's going to be you know very cyclical. I believe uh, where U.S. does not want to push China to the corner of the wall. Uh, it's no good for 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 both sides. Uh, as you as you limit Intel's export to to China, but it's going to hurt Intel as well. Mm. Um, so I think uh, it, it's it's going to be you know ups and downs and very uh, fluctuating in, in in the coming years. You know, particularly ahead of the uh, U.S. election. Uh, but for China itself, um, you know, the the allocation to China onshore market, I, I think it's going to be remain low remain low. Um, and th- that's also the reason why, uh, you know, fund flow into Japan has been, the, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, robust uh, so far this year. It's sort of sucking money from elsewhere, isn't it? Because the, 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 there's alternatives now. You don't have to be in China as because it is. Um, there's some other performing markets, Japan, India, Indonesia even. I know that's not yeah. as big, but there are other alternatives, aren't there? Yeah, I would rather say it's it's a divestment from China Asia, whereby you know the the when, when you look at uh, Asia, 
what what are the undervalued markets to go into, and it's it's going to be you know Japan is going to be uh, you know a, a natural uh, one to pick from, and the second will be India. Mm. Well, Francis, let's go through the numbers for the yeah. quarter so far. The Hang Seng is down seven point two percent year to date, down four point three percent. The tech index down 8.6% quarter to date. The China Enterprises Index of Hong Kong listed Chinese firms, uh, that slumped 6.4% just in one week last week. It's down 7.8% over the quarter. And then on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite on track for a quarterly loss of 2.8%. But if you go to the CSI 300 of the, the largest listed stocks in Shanghai and Shenzhen, that's fared even worse. It's down 9% from its January high. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what do you attribute this to? Many things, I suspect. <laughs> well, I think, I think the a weak economy is really the main reason. Uh, you have uh, very high unemployment, especially among the youth, and, and uh, you have a, uh, a real estate market that's not really <laughs> working at all. And, and, and actually, the government... Uh, 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 is responsible for for this. In what way? Uh, like in the real estate market, they want to uh, contain overborrowing, but in doing so, they they literally kill off the real estate sector, uh, and uh, and and fixed asset investment has been a major part of the Chinese economy. You you kill off one part of it, <laughs> and now you only have uh, consumption and exports, but. Experts are not doing that well because of uh, uh, interest rate rise and and, uh, and the recession in Europe, and of course consumer spending. If people don't have jobs, mm. they are not going to spend. I think I think people just lack security. Uh, uh, in previous years, the big tax uh, high um, many of the uh, graduating uh, students now. They're firing people instead. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation in in U.S., especially uh, uh, <coughs> in Silicon Valley. Uh, the 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 economy is not good, and and, and that really uh, big tax has been in, in a slump since 2022. Mm. Do, do you think the Chinese government has intervened too much, interfered too yeah. much in the market, yeah. in the economy, and it's caused all these mm-hmm. unintended consequences? Yeah. <coughs> Yeah, they uh, whenever they look at one sector, they kill off the sector. They they look at education. They said, oh, uh, we we don't want this uh, 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 <laughs> uh, two education tutors, and they kill off uh, all of them. And then the education department came and said, we don't want the young people to play uh, games too much, and they kill off the online games mm-hmm. one by one. And then, and then even on the uh, KOL side, uh, they, they they single out the most influential uh, KOL and then tax him. Mm. <laughs> so, so, so I think uh, uh, the, the uh, even Li Chang recently in Tianjin, he said, you should let the businesses run their own business. But that's the thing that he says that. But then the next day, they go and crack down on something else. So, you know, the words don't seem to match up with the actions at the that, moment. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, the, the government seem to want everything under their control. But, mm. but, but the fact is, in the last 20 years, big techs have, been, have their own way 
for far too long. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. They, they have problem adjusting to it. Frederick, what could turn this around in the second half? What could re- get confidence back, get investors looking at the markets once again and maybe some of those foreign investors coming back? Is there any particular trigger that would do that? I think the general uh, uh, view on how things are going in China, particularly on a top, top-down perspective, it's, going, it's not going to change. Um, the, the, the way that the government is controlling on business sectors uh, it, it's, going, it's going to be uh, you know, quite sustainable uh, on, on what they're doing. Uh, I think from, uh, from an investment perspective, you're looking into some of the uh, silver linings. Um, chips is going to be uh, you know, a, a major aspect of the you know, amount of U.S., China, and uh, Japan as well. And China has been um, you know, a, a manufacturer and a user on, on chips. Now, the, the U.S. has been trying to control your growth in all aspects that's related to, 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 to chips. Um, so, but like I said, the U.S. will not want to kill you in terms of you know your 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 your, your you know your economic performance. But what they want to do, what they want to aim for, is to slow down the way that you know the pace that that, that you grow. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways to control on the you know the upstream of the of the uh, chip designs and 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 the chip supplies, which is the, the you know the, the area where, where China is the weakest. So what the Chinese it's going to do is to uh, you know self develop on this aspect to to mm-hmm. hopefully to cover, to recover on these shortcomings. Um, it's going to take a while, isn't it? Though? It's going to take a while, but which means that from from the time being, you you have new co- new companies coming mm-hmm. up on the or the designing companies that they're currently doing uh, the chip designs will improve the technologies, and there might be new companies coming up. Uh, uh, for listings that you know uh, uh, in in this area, mm. are you tempted when you see this big outperformance in the US, this big underperformance in China? Um, things tend to mean revert over time, don't they? Do you, are, are you tempted to say, look, let's buy China, sell the US short, and and you know and play that um, on on the basis that you know at some point, surely that gap is going to close. Uh, my, my bet it's never go against the market trend. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I, th- I think it, it's it's well. Obviously, you, you may you may make make a big bet on that, but uh, it's also come with big risk. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. But when you look at the valuations, you know, between uh-huh. uh, you know between the US and China, I know you can't. There's not comparing necessarily like with like, but yeah. you know, we, China- we always talk about valuations. Like China has been low valuations, you know, for for so many years, and US has been talking about high valuation mm-hmm. on, on the Nasdaqs. But you know, it, it doesn't really affect a uh, you know the you know the the, the long term asset prices. Mm-hmm. Francis, what yeah. about the geopolit- geopolitical aspects? You know, do, do you see <laughs> any sign that maybe in the second half these tensions could ease, or do you think they're uh, no, going to get worse? Uh, I, I think it get worse. Uh, of course, the the US does not want to get in the, in a war with China, and uh, and and it does not want to alienate China too much. But but the fundamental thing is. You have two power blocks in the world now. You have the uh, Western democracies together with uh, Japan, South Korea, and India. Mm-hmm. And then you have China, Russia, and then uh, maybe and, and North Korea mm-hmm. <laughs> and the others. So, so uh, uh, China is the big boy in the other block. 
it's like the Shanghai Cooperation Block. Okay, so 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 right now I think uh, uh, the uh, the block led by the U.S. have the technology advantage right now. Mm. Uh, if you look at the weapons and technology and manufacturing, uh, the U.S. block is still several years in advance. But if and when and if China catches up, then there will be sparks. If, if this, if the world, you know, separates into these two trading blocks with yeah. China on one side, the U.S. and its allies mm-hmm. on the other. Doesn't that put um, Hong Kong in rather a difficult position? Because obviously yeah, it's part of the China block, yeah. but its monetary policy is linked to the US. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Donald Trump did it already. Uh, we used to have make in Hong Kong, and he said that you cannot say make in Hong Kong, you have to make in China, and then uh, cancel all, all these uh, trading privileges with Hong Kong. Mm. And then, frankly, they make make Hong Kong a, a, a literally a part of China. Well, so, Frederick, where, where does Hong Kong fit? We had the trade data, didn't we, which wasn't great. Um, the Hong Kong trade fell by the most in four months. Exports down 15.6%. Uh, imports shrank even faster, 16.7%. Um, where do you see Hong Kong and, it, and its markets here what, for, for the second half? I think Hong Kong is going to be you know, more and more tricky at, at this uh, at, at this point of time um, you, you have the uh, you know Hong Kong dollar pack to the US which I don't think it's imminently uh, uh, you know uh, a separation is, 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 is imminent um, but then the uh, tourism consumer spending etc you know has been uh, has, has not been you know recovering uh, that well and, and particularly the thing is the Hong Kong government has this sort of, you know, independency in terms of day-to-day runnings. But then, you know, the MA is, is not like uh, any central bank that you can print money just like that. Or you can, you know, issue debt just to support your, your, your financials, the, the, the government financials. So all you're coming in, it's your government income is, is coming from uh, taxation, which is quite low in mm. comparing to uh, the rest of the world. And also the sale of land. Now the real estate story has been going along with uh, you know demands and, and interest rate etc. So which is you know particularly hurting the uh, the uh, the PNL of the of, of the government. Mm. Okay. Well, look, I'd love to talk to you longer. It's an interesting mm-hmm. discussion. Sadly, though, we've we've run out of time. But thank you very much. That's Frederick Chu, who's managing director at Magnum Research. Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start with the uh, the inflation data that we had out of uh, Australia earlier this week. The monthly consumer price index advanced 5.6%. That's slower than the 6.8% rise uh, the previous month, also slower than what uh, economists were expecting. It's the lowest annual inflation rate uh, since April 2022. This is um, good news, isn't it? Certainly for the Reserve Bank of Australia um, anyway, and does seem to suggest that maybe uh, these interest rate rises are having an effect at last. Yeah, it certainly was good news and the market uh, was very positive. Equity market bounced uh, 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 on the view that the Reserve Bank might hold on rates now. Um, 
most of the drivers for the improvement was in automotive fuel. It was down eight percent in terms of the actual sort of detail in the in the numbers. I think the devil in the detail though is one that's to always be careful of is the core inflation. Core inflation, which strips out all of that volatility um, in in pricing, still high six and a six point four percent, and 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 only down one point from six point five. And the trim mean, which is another uh, measure which is often looked at more closely by the economists and the and the central banks, is around six point one. So yeah, uh, unambiguously good number, probably leads to a pause. But uh, if you're thinking that that's it, uh, I think it's a bit premature. And the RBA it meets next week, doesn't it? I think on uh, on Tuesday for its next monetary policy meeting. Yeah, and I suspect I'll pause uh, for July because they want to look at the quarterly figure of CPI, which will be coming out this month. Uh, and then maybe August will be a more critical month in terms of meeting and potential rate hikes, which is probably and leading probably into your next question around what's happening around the world in relation <laughs> to uh, central banks and interest rates. Um, yeah, that means that there's probably uh, a pause with potential hikes to come. You guessed well. I was going to talk about that uh, European Central Banking Conference in Portugal this week. We had four um, central bank heads there, Christine Lagarde of the ECB, um, Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England, Jerome Powell was there from the Fed, and Kazuo Ueda from the Bank of Japan. Um, three of them, um, with the exception of Japan, all talking about more rates, aren't they? Uh, Jerome Powell was talking about maybe two more successive rate hikes. Um, Christine Lagarde making it very clear that they've got a way to go. And I rather get the impression the ECB looks at the UK and is frightened to death about what's happened to inflation there and, and just thinks it's got to keep going. Well, a couple of things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think they're talking tough and there's a reason, and I think we've mentioned this previously in our discussions, that you know inflation becomes embedded and very tricky to unwind if expectations are, are embedded around prices and around higher prices. And so even though you know they're still waiting for that lag of the rate hikes that have already come in to start having an impact on the economy, they're concerned that people may reflect that this is it, that's the peak, and now we're you know, sort of at uh, the back of it, which is certainly not the case when you look at prices and certainly not the case when you look at, uh, at the performance of the economies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the Fed's case, Powell has said, look, you know, we're not done. There's two potential consecutives coming. Mm-hmm. Labor markets are still too tight. And then overnight you get a GDP figure in the U.S., which is a revised number from 1.3% growth uh, to 2% growth, um, that tells you that uh, despite uh, you know the impact still to feed through in in some of the rate hikes there, the economy is performing pretty well. And what I think the central banks are concerned about is that I wouldn't say it's laziness, but a sort of a, a sense of oh the, the the job's done. And I don't think that it is. I don't think the central banks think it is, and they don't want the market to think it is nor the consumers to that extent. If, if we look back to six months ago, given that we're now halfway through the, uh, the year, what a, what a contrast, because the base case I seem to remember at the beginning of the year among certainly a large number of economists was that interest rates certainly in the US were going to peak this year and they were even going to come down, not actually going to just peak, they were going to come down maybe by as much as 1% at one stage people were talking about and the US economy was going to be in recession. And as you mentioned, with that uh, revised GDP figure we saw overnight, no sign of a recession at all. And clearly, um, rates are not only not going to come down, they're, they're going to go up further. So a complete turnaround, isn't it, from where we were at the beginning of the year? Yeah, and I think uh, uh, the other 
sort of language that's being used by the central banks is that, uh, you know, it's going to take years to get inflation back to the 2 to 3% target. Um, uh, you know, we're now talking 2025 rather than 2024. So, you know, uh, there has definitely been a shift in language. And I think even a shift in the last three months um, that, uh, you know, is, is probably indicative of a fear that inflation stays too high. So importantly to note uh, in relation to uh, inflation is that uh, whilst the language has shifted, um, we're also seeing um, uh, the fact that economies are, are performing quite well. Um, and what we want to be able to see is um, that lag impact uh, through in terms of employment. And that's just not happening around the world, particularly in the, in the, in the Western economies. So certainly something to keep an eye on. And what about the markets? The big feature, I think, of equity markets in the first half has been the massive outperformance of the US and the big underperformance of the Chinese markets, which is also maybe the reverse of what some people were thinking. Certainly people weren't predicting such a poor performance uh, from China and this big exit by, by foreigners from the, uh, the China markets, almost to the point where you think, you know, is this going to revert at some point in the second? Uh, in the second half of the year, yeah, I think there's no doubt that uh, there was a bigger expectation that China would come out uh, of its uh, pandemic hiber- uh, pandemic hibernation a lot quicker and a lot more aggressively than what it has. It's been quite a disappointment, so um, that's a surprise. But I guess there's still that potential that uh, with some stimulus, I think the PBOC cut rates. I think the you know there's there's room for the Chinese authorities to to pump prime a little more aggressively in the in the economy if necessary. Mm-hmm. So that's a potential upside to the overall view of the world in terms of potential impact. Because if China doesn't China comes out aggressively in the next six months, it may impact um, in terms of mitigating any negative impact of a recession and the higher interest rates in the in the Western economies and the and the developed economies that are going through a different cycle. So that's an interesting conundrum that we're seeing. Um, you mentioned performance of the main indicators, uh, um, you know, over the last first half of this year, uh, 14% up in, in S&P, so the broad uh, stock index in the US, 37% in the NASDAQ. Uh, always be careful on the NASDAQ, though, because it's confined to a very small number of stocks, uh, and there's been a big buzz around AI. Um, so stocks have performed much better than we would have expected. On the bond market, it's rates, uh, I think, curve has continued to move Two's tens has continued to sort of widen 40, 40, 50 basis points. That reflects the higher interest rate expectation that you know we mentioned in the previous little discussion. Dollar index has been pretty flat, um, uh, but it's well off its highs from September last year when it was at one fourteen, now around one hundred three. Um, and volatility, the other big one I think is interesting is volatility, as measured by the VIX, is down about close to forty percent from where it was at the beginning of the year. Do you think investors are too complacent? Are they being too complacent here? It's a good question, Peter. Uh, It feels that way, Um, you know, and uh, as uh, someone who's been in the markets a long time, sometimes it's really hard to understand, um, uh, you know, how markets uh, behave. And uh, there is a sense that um, that, uh, even though the the Fed might be looking to uh, put rates higher, it's not necessarily being felt as aggressively as it would. And maybe that's in the language that the media use. Maybe that's in the language that people feel. But I'm sure there's hurt out there, and we're seeing it. You know, there's clearly some job losses, there's some degradation in activity. Um, and so I guess it reflects on what we are seeing and being exposed to uh, as commentators and as advisors in the market. Mm. And uh, 
maybe it's it's there that we're not quite seeing it and it'll come through and then that when you know people wake up to the reality of 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 the, the you know the, the level of activity activity in the economy so i don't think there's a risk on i don't think there's a there's a exuberance in the market but maybe there's a, a little bit of denial about the reality so i'm sure it'll play out in the in the post summer months in the northern hemisphere that's for sure there are a lot of risks out there at the moment, aren't there? Especially on the geopolitical front, it seems that um, you know the, the tensions between the US and China could get worse. The Wall Street Journal reporting that uh, more s- sanctions are coming on chip exports uh, to, to China, but yet the market seems to shrug it all off. At the moment, yeah, until they don't. <laughs> That's the beauty of financial markets and investing is, you know, you can never be completely certain. Look, a lot of the geopolitical noise is, is going to be with us for time, you know, could could play out over years, uh, potentially even decades. Uh, you know, the China-US story is going to continue to ebb and flow between uh, collaboration and, uh, you know, and, and conflict. Um, that's, you know, so as a investor you know you can't really trade that you you have to obviously be aware of it but uh, it's not something you can really position in terms of a portfolio or an investment so uh, but worth keeping an eye on of course you know ukraine uh, and that mini coup or a non-coup that happened in russia last week you know what are the long-term implications of that we don't know um but clearly some you know some potential risks associated with escalation within russia uh, so those sort of things are all of the things that we watch and closely, but very difficult to react to as an investor and, and probably not worth reacting to as an investor. Um, but certainly being aware of them is uh, is important. Toby, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investments. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.